thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 118 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever and was recorded on Friday, April 29th and made available for download Tuesday, May 3rd over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Ostron. And I'm Jeff. What do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we discuss more space weather. And on the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover our usual trifecta of games, including a follow-up of the Prospector and 2.4, details on how elite engineers are bad at their jobs, and more tidbits from Descent Underground's development stream. Next, we debate the random component modifications, and finally, we tune into a very, very, very large feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. In my quest to become the world's first official space weatherman, I'm watching the skies for all kinds of meteorological news. It will be important one day to know if your paraglider will be blown off course when you jump off Olympus Mons, or if your dirigible will melt in a sulfuric acid storm in the clouds of Venus, or if you need to bring your floaties when you head out to the methane lakes of Titan, because that's what awaits us out there on Saturn's moon. Scientists using data from the Cassini probe have confirmed the composition of Legia Mare on Titan's surface to be the same stuff you use to run your water heater. But given Titan's sub-zero surface temperature, it's in a liquid, not gaseous, state. They are also able to get accurate readings of the lake's depth, up to 160 meters in some places, and determine that the bottom of the lake was likely crusted with organic compounds, or sludge. That's a scientific term. The finding was somewhat surprising, as it was thought that ethane would dominate the lake environment due to the interaction of sunlight and Titan's atmosphere, but it turns out that the Lygia Mare, named after one of the sirens in Greek mythology, may be recharged by methane rain or some sort of drainage process with nearby Kraken Mare, named after the terrifying sea creature, also from Greek mythology. Maybe instead of floaties, you should bring a harpoon. Uh, And to contrast that little bit of scientific awesomeness, I just have to bring up this next bit. As amazing as our instruments are, as sensitive as our analytical processes can get, as complex as our reasoning and empirical skills have become, our greatest minds can be stymied by the occasional random weasel attack. The Large Hadron Collider was brought to its knees this week when a weasel chewed through a 66 kilovolt power cable. Repairs are ongoing, but it will take at least two weeks before the LHC is back in business. While the weasel paid the ultimate price for his lack of vision, he did set back the course of human discovery by looking for a snack. <laughs> You're kidding me. This was nope, news? <laughs> no, both those things are real. There are lakes of methane on Titan, and we can we can know this from billions of miles away, and then weasels can bring down the large hadron I, I always so, i always said i was know. born 500 years too early because man i i want to get into my into my daily driver and just you know fly out to venus and 
park it at, at, at the, you know. At the dock. Yeah. You know, floating <laughs> around some carbon dioxide clouds. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's the sort of thing in 500 years. I mean, hopefully we'll be doing that sort of stuff. And hopefully by then we'll have solved the weasel problem. <laughs> well, I, I don't think we'll ever solve the weasel problem. There are weasels everywhere. <laughs> uh, apparently. Well, I just that was I thought that was a great contrast. You know that that the Cassini probe it's near, it's nearing the end of its mission, but it's done. You know a, a lot of great science work. I mean it's 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 ex- exceeded its life expectancy. They're you know they they found different things to do with it. You know it's it's continually bringing us you know or you know, new facts, new discoveries, and on the other hand, random wildlife attacks. I guarantee you this won't be the last probe. I mean, as our as our technology gets no. better and our sensors and our collectors get better and our propulsion systems get better, we'll be gathering this kind of data far more frequently than before. I mean, wasn't Cassini launched like 12 years ago or so? Yeah. Yeah, a long time ago. It was, it's it's it has it has greatly exceeded its uh, its mission parameters, but I did, I believe it's nearing the end of its mission. I, I think just its fuel source is almost gone. Yeah, the Cassini spacecraft carries three radioisotope thermoelectric generators. So yeah, the the, the power margin in 2010 was 680 watts left. Yeah, it was not expected to to last that much longer. So uh, five years on, it, it's gonna it's it's about ready to go. See. It could last for eight more years as of 2010, but I think they've used up more of the fuel than they expected to. So it's going to be deorbiting in the next year or two. Uh, but it's 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 greatly exceeded its uh, its mission specs, and uh, keeps doing great science. So I hope Jeff's right. I hope we do continue to send more probes out into deep space with better instruments and better uh, sensors. And I hope that we make them all weasel. <laughs> well, no, remember the probe didn't have the problem with the weasels. That's the science we're still doing back here. You know, that's the kind of, of sort of lackadaisical thinking that will make those probes vulnerable to weasel attacks. Yeah, I can just see the headlines, though. A 25-mile-long crater was created today by the act of a weasel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's bound to happen with that sort of, you know, passive thinking, Ostron. I mean, not on my watch, mister. Not on my watch. Every probe should be rigorously weasel-proofed because you never know when they're going to strike. As an aside, scientifically speaking, I think you definitely need floaties for the methane because if I remember my chemistry correctly, it's a whole lot less dense than water is. So swimming would be a challenge. Good. And a harpoon for the krakens and the sirens and probably the weasels. Hmm. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for April 29th, 2016. 113,170,000, up about 900,000. 1.36 million registered accounts, up about 4,000. And 966,000 ships in the UAE fleet, up about 9,000. As the over $200,000 release day sales suggest, the Prospector is CIG's new hot ship to have, and most of the press this week focused on exploring the details of the new solo miner. A popular question that showed up in both the first ship Q&A and 10 for the chairman was asking about the Prospector jump drive. All sources confirmed the ship will come with a jump drive, and the ship is physically small, so it will have free access to the smaller jump points of the verse. Our note last week about the Prospector being strictly a solo mining ship was reinforced this week as well. 
There are no plans for prospector variants or modules that would allow it to swap out mining equipment for cargo space. There are also currently no plans to allow a prospector to dock in or on an Orion, and there's only cockpit and crew space for one person, so trying to mine with a buddy on the ship is not going to work. However, Grumpy the Dwarf isn't the only person who might want one of these. The Orion and Prospector have different approaches to mining, but an Orion with refining capabilities can still make use of the stuff a Prospector gathers. And if you have friends with one of the Hall series ships, they can mount the Prospector's ore containers in their cargo spindles. So, a mid-sized mining operation that hasn't worked its way up to an Orion yet might be able to set up a sort of relay system. A few prospectors could be digging out ore while a hollow two are running the filled ore containers back to base or to market or wherever. Unfortunately, by the time you hear this, the sale of the ship will have ended. So I hope everyone who wanted one was able to grab it. And while it wasn't the main focus of the episode, but on Around the Verse, Ben discussed some info about the upcoming 2.4 release of Star Citizen, claiming it will be a, quote, night and day change to the player experience. 2.4 will feature the first elements of in-game persistence with shopping and the ability to earn alpha or testing UEC in-game. Also, the holotable ship configuration is being jettisoned in favor of a MobiGlass app, though an improved holotable is scheduled to return at some future date. Reverse the Verse further teased that the release may be as early as next week. So I like the idea that the, the Prospector is going to be, you know, Lego interchangeable with other types of ships. You know, just you won't have to just be uh, restricted to mining, going back, mining, going back. You know, there are creative ways to make the ships work together. It's mining. What can I say? <laughs> now, now, Jeff. I know, I know. It's not just mining if you can do other things. It's Then you can maybe, maybe you can sell the ore container to somebody right there at the asteroid belt. Then it's commerce. It is kind of just mining, though, because I have to say that this is... I'm trying. I'm, I'm really I, I trying. I know, but I think you're... Not only are you fighting an uphill battle, you're doing it on ice, because this is the most specifically targeted purpose ship that I know of, with the possible exception of the Herald. But, you know, every other ship people have been talking about, well, yeah, this is the primary thing you do with it, but maybe you can turn it around and have it do this, or, you know, it has one or two variants that give it another option for somebody who bought one. Not with this thing. It's, if you don't want to mine, you should not be anywhere near this ship, because it can't do anything else. Well, apparently they sold not quite a couple thousand of them. They got 200 grand off the deal at 140 bucks well, a Well, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of people really interested in the mining mechanic for a long time, so I, uh, I'm not actually surprised by that bit. It's just nobody here really likes it. Oh, no, I like it. I just can't afford it. All right, well, there's that. But, you know, you'll be able to earn some UEC, right, supposedly. We're going to have the early vestiges of an economy with the next release, right? Yeah, I'm sort of confused about how much they're touting that. I mean, it's it's a huge step forward in the grand scheme of things, and I recognize that. It just seems like it's going to be one of those things where they get a whole lot more excited about it than the player base will. Because for them, it's... You know, the introduction of persistence, which is obviously a huge effort on the back end and making all of that work. But for a lot of the player base, it's just going to be like, oh, I have a little money counter on my screen now and it ticks up or down depending on certain behaviors. But they've even admitted there isn't going to be a whole lot to actually buy initially. 
I was kind of curious about that. I'm still kind of wondering about the market. I mean, are we going to buy cosmetic stuff? Are we going to buy actual ship parts? Are we going to buy upgrades? Are we going to buy ships themselves? I mean, nobody's really come out and said exactly what the economy is going to really consist of. I, I would like to see a document about that. Yeah, all of the word of mouth has just been that it's going to be clothing initially. Like, you're going to be able to buy clothing using the UEC that you earn, and then everything else is going to be tacked on later. Well, I think that makes sense at this stage. It's just, you know, the way we were talking last week, you know, the paint job on your spaceship. I apply a paint job to my avatar, you know, and hopefully it sticks. I was just a little confused about Ben's statement of it being night and day for the players when, as far as I can tell from the player experience point of view, I don't think it's going to be that big of a change. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to start with persistence, that's when you start having an attachment to your in-game character. You know, it's like, I played this for a while, I earned this through the play, I can now, you know, have this special laser gun or the cool jacket uh, or the nifty spaceship, and... I expect to log off and I expect it to come back when I log back in. That's when people start getting attached. It's the beginning of a night and day change. So, I mean, calling it a night and day change now might be a little premature, but it's what we're going to be building on to get people to the point where they're attached to that in-game persona. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that you can log in, do things that have an effect on your character, then log back out next time you come back it's there still that may be like the first baby steps that they're they're talking about here and that's good because for a minimally viable product you would need to demonstrate that you can connect that persistent idea of a character for your players to the actual gameplay those two things have to be connected and turning to Elite Dangerous, Countdown to Beta 3 is now out, and the beta launch itself is just around the corner. And speaking of the beta launch, Guard Frequency is going to have another call-in show from inside the Elite Dangerous universe next Friday at 10 p.m. Central, 4 a.m. GMT. Watch our Twitter feed, at Guard Freak, for details on how you can meet up with us and chat from inside the bubble. This week's update is well worth a read just for some of the additional backstory that provides on not only the engineers in general, but also on several of the specific characters we encounter in Patch 2.1. Frontier reiterated that there will be different ways to find and build relationships with engineers, including via other engineers that you've already met. It seems that the engineers will also give us tasks or missions to complete in order to unlock higher grades of modifications in which they specialize. We've mostly seen weapons modifications, but the option for a category of power distributor mobs was shown this week as well, though no details so far. Getting into the nuts and bolts of module upgrades revealed some details likely to divide opinion. Performing an upgrade offers a result that is randomized within a set range. The system is designed so that you should always wind up with a new improvement over a stock item, however it may not be quite what you wanted. If you're unhappy with the outcome you can reject it, but the materials you used are still spent regardless. This means that if you collect enough materials, you could re-roll an upgrade several times in an attempt to get better results, only keeping the best one. An overcharged weapon upgrade is used as an example, trading reduced damage and increased jitter for less power drain and thermal load, but a faster rate of fire, thus all of that results in a higher damage per second. It's possible to gain a fairly small negative to the damage and jitter factors, or even a small bonus. However, it's also possible to roll negatives in the areas intended for upgrade. 
The UI will show you how much each is changed from your current values, which is a help. Additionally, the special effects we've been seeing in these weekly previews so far all seem to be a randomly applied side effect of the crafting process. 75% in the sample image, though whether that will be the norm has yet to be seen. So, Elite's engineers have been unmasked as hacks. They don't give consistent results for the same work every time. You know, way back when Chris Roberts explained his vision for overclocking components in Star Citizen, he also mentioned that randomness will be a factor. Not every component will have the same tolerances for modification, even within the same manufacturer's line. Random chaos here seems to be the rule of thumb in modern MMO crafting. But is it a good thing? Well, let's have a debate to find out. Told you we were changing everything, guys. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us randomized custom items. Jeff won three out of five hands of strip poker before the show, and we'll begin. So, Jeff, tell us, why will randomized item customization cause nothing but angst and grief? Well, Tony, let's put it this way. If I can just randomly create something and it doesn't go badly, I'm going to pound my keyboard and walk away from the game. I mean, seriously, this randomized customization causes nothing but frustration for many. Some people get the roll of the dice and have good luck. Some people don't. It just causes all kinds of frustrations and angst. Jeff, you ignorant slut. With an immortal's perspective, I'd expect you to have a more open view. The randomized customization means that everybody gets their own set of whatever they're customizing. You can hold up whatever item you received and proudly state that this is yours, it's unique, nobody else is guaranteed to get the same values you did, and it's not going to be able to be copied by everyone else in the verse if they happen to like it. Tony, as my esteemed opponent does not yet realize, is when I have a very limited crafting supply and I'm looking for a specific modifier for that item, and it's random, then I am... I am so frustrated and other players are so frustrated by the fact that that it's never it's never a sure thing. And sure, as as my opponent has said, it's it's uh, unique, but uniqueness is not what you need to win the game. Jeff, you ignorant slut. <laughs> Look, this is the solution to the problem that you've been harping about forever where you're going to get outstripped by teenagers who can play the game for 10 hours a day because they don't have any other responsibilities. This is a simple system that requires minimal time investiture but has the chance of giving you items that may not only equal the equipment acquired by the lifers but may actually surpass it with far less work involved. So it's an incentive to keep the more casual, restricted gamers in the game and competitive as opposed to them just being resigned to always being outclassed by the people who can play forever. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. So, tempers flaring on both sides, obviously. Uh, 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 you know, to be <laughs> truly on, honest about this, I would actually have the other point. I, I like randomness in... in modifications and i'm actually not as much of a fan so oh so we've had the wrong oh good job you guys are pretty good for having the opposite (laughs) sides of what you thought so so flip it so flip it so so jeff why why uh oh no 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 we're not doing this again (laughs) no no okay well fine i'll tell you both why you're both wrong how about that Uh, okay tell us why we're both wrong mr moderator (laughs) 
So, so the thing, just from from an immersion standpoint, I mean, they're calling these guys the engineers, but all their backstory is that they're black art, dark sorcery stuff, and random things happen because they're so edgy and cool. I mean, so don't call them engineers. They're wizards or sorcerers. If they're going to do random stuff, don't call them something that sort of inspires predictability. They're not engineers. They're artisans. They're tinkerers. So I, I got a problem with advertising on it on the one hand. The other problem I have is that the randomness really ought to come in from acquiring the materials, right? Like you found the super rare mineral or crystal that will enable you to get the awesome mod. I think that's where the randomness ought to come. Yeah. Did either of you ever play Minecraft? I watched my son do it for hours. Um, I asked because Elite's description of their upgrade thing reminds me a lot of what Minecraft has an enchanting system. And basically... Right, the table. Yeah, the enchanting table. And when the way it works is just you take an item that you want to enchant, you bring it up to the table, and you invest a certain amount of levels that you acquire, usually in that game by either mining or killing creeps. And you get the item back. The enchantment you receive is completely random. And you can literally drop 30 levels, which in game time, that's probably 8 to 10 hours of gameplay. You could drop it into this system and get back an item that's functionally useless. And it caused a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth when it was first introduced. And they didn't make a substantial yeah. change to it even now. Um, of course, in that game, there are various methods you can use to create what are essentially XP generators and sort of game the system. So gaining levels doesn't take that hard. But right. yeah, it was it was a major thing that people were like, why am I going to bother? Because this could turn out to be a complete waste of time. I was a little harsh on the description of the Star Citizen one, but I think they have a better approach, at least in theory, because of course that's another element of gameplay they haven't fleshed out yet. But the way it was initially posited is that there would be a certain level of overclocking on a lot of things that was more or less guaranteed, and then the upper limit would have a more random element to it. So save for like yeah. rate of fire on a laser cannon like you could be guaranteed to be able to push it up about three or four percent if you wanted to try for seven or eight then sometimes you'd get it sometimes you would yeah i think i think what it is it's a, a question of magnitude not time yeah like if i if i turn in a chunk of unobtainium I know that what's going to happen is the rate of fire of my laser gun will go up. But if I give you, like, two unobtainiums, there's a chance I might be able to get a 7 or 8% out of it, or I could just be stuck with a 3%. Combining the rarity of your raw materials with a chance of a greater magnitude, but a predictable type of improvement, I think that would be good. Or even if you wanted to, like, go double or nothing and a chance to break the weapon entirely, I'd be cool with that. But I think they need to go away from the sort of totally random result because the engineer is a dark art sorcerer. You know, maybe it'll be better, maybe it'll be worse. I guess we'll just have to hit the big red button and find it. No. Let the people that want to use crafting as an incremental improvement do that. And if people want to then take those big gambles, let them do that. Bottom line, they really need to work on the concept of it. They need to tweak some of their dials so that it always pushes 
1% past, it always goes the direction you want to, but maybe the magnitude is what is at play, and then adjust the randomness of the raw materials that drop. And I think that would be a lot more in line with the title of the expansion, it would be a lot more in line with people's expectation, and it would incentivize people to actually use the crafting system because it would be at least minimally predictable about what you're going to get as far as results. And now a few quick updates on Descent Underground development. The Panzer Shield visual effects are in and there's a war going on between designers as to who can make it the prettiest. Check out the results of their combat in the Proving Grounds soon. Balance is coming to the Typhoon spin attack. It turns out the Death Blossom is not something you want to give to players casually. Balance is coming to fusion weapons, which is code for making them, you know, actually fire. Mining and hauling is now in design. This will dig up a lot more gameplay and expect more news on that also soon. Teehee, dig up, huh? The Warlock's abilities are getting work. That includes a security tool to disable doors and a thief tool that deactivates other people's placed equipment. And finally, sound occlusion is being implemented. Get prepared to be in awe of not hearing things. <laughs> Is that Death Blossom like, kind of like the last Starfighter thing where, you know... <laughs> yeah. No, that's what they said. That's what they want. They, the, the, the Typhoon spin attack is like Death Blossom. That's what they, they're, they're totally going for that effect. It was envisioned and designed as a toggle it on, toggle it off. Like, you know, I feel like destroying everything in a 30-meter radius. So, <laughs> beep, and then, you know, nah, okay, everything's blown up. I'll just turn it off now. Beep, and like, no. And it's going to be a, a cool down mm. thing now. Uh, it should have so. been. I mean, even in the last Starfighter, there was a cool yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, it's like your ship like that's like, oh crap, we're going to get run over by the space, you know, destroyer because we have no thrusters. No, this is a problem. Yeah. And now it's time for news we didn't use. Everspace is beginning its public alpha testing soon, featuring three ships, four sectors, 20 configurable components, and 32 perks to play around with. Engineers in Elite Dangerous won't just modify modules, some will carry specialist equipment like Professor Palin's corrosion-resistant racks, which safely carry alien artifacts. CIG had their subscriber Reverse the Verse recently, featuring the composers working on Star Citizen's soundtrack. Two more experimental modifications for Elite weapons were revealed. Missiles that light up a target, increasing their signature, and burst lasers that do a percentage of hull damage even through shielding. Well, it's about time they did something to make people want to use burst lasers because they're mostly useless, useless as far as yeah. I'm concerned. I mean, go beams or you go the pulse one way or the other. So it's good to see them doing that. And, and again, missiles are getting more love because they're also more or less useless uh, as, they're, as they're currently implemented. Are you, either of you guys doing Everspace? I contributed to it. I was, I was intrigued by the gameplay description and the visuals. I have not contributed to it, so I'm interested in, uh, in, in seeing what, what it winds up looking like. Uh, roguelike games uh, both confuse and uh, frighten and uh, Oh, I'm scared me. to death because uh, the only roguelike game I'm very familiar with is or the only two I'm familiar with is FTL and Dark Souls and both of those everyone who, who I've heard play it basically say, yeah, you have to get used to losing a lot 
but apparently <laughs> Everspace yeah. Everspace build itself that it's got some sort of in-game explanation for how losing not only isn't really losing, it's just sort of an evolution onto your next step of playing the game and it's got some sort of like continuing storyline that it manages to hold throughout all of that. So your death has meaning is what you're trying to say. Yeah, and it's also somehow not really a death. Well, it's not death, it's defeat. All right, well, we're, we're gonna, I think we'll keep an eye on it because it is a cool-looking game and it seems to be kind of up our alley. And this week's community question, do randomized item mods harmlessly add unique flavor to the game universe or do they cause nothing but imbalance and be in strife? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. And now that we're all cut up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's the master of mitosis, and that he was recently caught in flagrante spliticto. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Okay, guys, apparently we hit feedback gold with this question. What does minimum viable product mean for Star Citizen? Maybe just save my loadout and paint job? Or is it every stretch goal? Maybe something in between. Disclaimer, we had tons of feedback this week, so we had to cut some of it for time. If yours didn't get in or we missed an important point, we apologize. But so many of you wrote in wonderful things to say, good analysis, and we wanted to try to get a little bit of everything. Go team! Beginning in alphabetical order according to height, Alberto Martinez, and many of his sentiments echoed by that other guy, wrote in and said, Are you guys crazy? Seriously, you expect CIG to deliver stretch goals in an alpha product? CIG has several times stated that the game will release with persistence, multi-crew, several professions, squadron 42, at least 40 systems, and the economy. Everything else that's not that is extra or fluff. MVP doesn't mean let's not give them a bunch of things we promised. It means this is the minimum we will release something and have the balls to call it retail. Anything outside this is DLC or an expansion pack. Just talk about making a mountain out of a molehill. Trupa says, The MVP is the list of stretch goals that CIG promised to use our pledges for. The same list they said they could complete with $65 million. Period. End of discussion. And Adon, as is usual... Good show, everybody. To me, the minimally viable game for Star Citizen is 100 systems, not all having landing zones. The lore guides on some of the systems mention having no landing zones in some of them. Fully finished economy system. Fully finished flight mode. Reputation system. Mining system. Bounty hunting. Cargo system. Merchant system. Organizational support. And finally, a good portion of ships for each role. I'm likely missing something, but off the top of my head, that's what I feel is required for the Star Citizen experience. As to why they have not released their sheet of minimal viable product checklist is that they want to be able to edit it as needed without a huge backlash. The community as a whole is not known for being level-headed in their reactions, and there are also people out there who will use any excuse to take a stab at CIG. Keeping it behind the scenes allows for them to do what they feel is best without having to justify every single change to a bunch of overreacting people on the internet. At least that's what I hope it is. Mr. 8X said, Hey guys, great show once again. I loved the Tony versus Angry Tony. Why not Mirror Universe Tony? 
I didn't see that coming, and it got me to lol. As far as MVP, I think somewhere in between would be fine, but I haven't thrown nearly as much cash at this game as others. I don't know if I'm a fan of always being able to pay real-world currency on these ships, though, and I agree that it may be time to switch gears from the Kickstarter mindset. Keep up the good work. You're one of the best parts of my long commute. Cincinnati says, CIG was providing stretch goals based on reaching a funding goal. The funding was only for the pre-launch work, especially for when the game has doubled its development budget. Therefore, they should not double charge backers for a DLC or expansion. Let the whales dump money in for ships that they will not use to fund the game. Amontillado simply says, ugh. Now he goes on and says more. A couple of things here. As you rightly quote, the statement CR made was, and will have what we determine as a minimal viable product feature list for what you call Star Citizen, the commercial release. So we're talking about a feature list, and Chris Robert goes on to handily provide us with a non-exhaustive list of features. Not terribly detailed, but the message I think is clear. Star Citizen will be deemed commercially releasable when there's lots of content and it's stable. He also says that they'll continue adding to the game after it's released commercially. So, we know that CIG is not planning on fulfilling all of the stretch goals on launch. Moreover, CIG never promised that the stretch goals would be ready at commercial release. Some are promised to be there, those need to be fulfilled. I'm unclear on what you're angry about. Star Citizen stretch goals aren't further along at this alpha point in time. The pace of development isn't sufficient for you. I can understand the dissatisfaction within the pace of development. I want it sooner rather than later myself. But care should be taken not to allow impatience to cause us to rabble-rouse or overreact to some poor choice of words. Chris Roberts used the language, we'll have what we determined. I think Lennon hit the interpretation on this one. It doesn't mean that they don't have a clue on what they're driving towards for the commercial release. It means that it's a long way between now and things can still change. Elwook chimes in and says 24 stretch goals down is more than a couple. No, I don't think it's possible to deliver all as minimum viable product, especially since I don't want them to have to push the announcement back four years. I'm hoping sometime next year Star Citizen can launch with persistence, practical implementation of five to six careers, capital multi-crew ships, jump points with a reasonable number of systems, planetary landing, shopping and ship upgrades, and proper 9 to 1 ratio of NPCs. Hey, great show, and please never stop being an ignorant slut, Tony. I'm not quite sure how to take that. Locke Du writes in and says, I listened to the episode, guys, and really thought it was great. This remains probably my favorite CIG-related show. Really even-handed coverage, and as an elite player also, I like getting the updates and opinions on both games. To be honest, I share a lot of your concerns about the MVP issues. I'm hoping procedural generation helps them do that, since handcrafted can't possibly be done as quickly. I'm okay with MVP at launch, but not if we get shortchanged on the basic features we've been told to expect. Keep up the good work, gang. David Sesnick writes in and says, You guys act like minimally viable product means it's coming out this year. It's not. It would get destroyed in reviews, destroyed in sales. I doubt they'll even make it by 2017. They're just saying things like pets won't make it on the first release. A number of the features require persistence. We'll be getting that in 2.4. 64 features look to be implemented or implemented shortly after Squadron 42 comes out, let's say in the next 12 months. This is typical in-game development. I've made a few games, nothing AAA by today's standards. 
He goes on and says, I estimate it will be 2020 before every feature is implemented. Look at what we've gotten in the past six months. Six months ago, all we had was Arena Commander, Arc Corp, and a Hangar. 2.0 didn't come out until the second half of December. They've essentially doubled the content in the last six months than the previous three years before that. The next 12 months will even double that amount. But the trickiest part is the 100 star systems. You can place spheres in a map, but people want to land on Earth, Terra, etc. Considering it took them 36 months to deliver just one quarter of a system, it's doubtful we'll get our minimum viable product next year. 2018 is my guess. He wraps it up uh, with the bullet point of what do I consider a minimally viable product? 70 star systems with planets and locations, procedural planets, persistence and subsumption, customizable characters, faces, clothes, and sex, 50 flyable ships, including two capital ships, careers, freight hauler, mining, mercenary, bounty hunter, security, pirate, acceptable network performance, able to get 60 frames per second in the verse, and 20 hero locations like Nyx, Area 18, Crusader, etc. Cheers. Krell writes in and says, I think there's definitely some room for flexibility in the stretch goals. The basic core of the game needs to all be there. I'd rather have 50 planetary systems in and all the core mechanics. Going back to my personal favorite windmill to tilt at, the flight model and controller balance are definitely not in a happy place yet. Of every mechanic that's part of the game, that one absolutely has to be perfect. As Tony pointed out, the expanded hardware is one of the original goals, but at this point they don't even have a good balance for very limited hardware. And wrapping up the community question feedback, Rent-A-Spoon says they say that the minimum viable product for commercial release still has to be determined, so I don't understand why people are getting upset. I'd be happy with the minimum viable product just being a better performance and a 90% of gameplay mechanics. I don't think they have a choice about the ships they have to be in. MVP doesn't mean early and incomplete. Either way, I don't think it'll affect me. Well, yeah, very good discussion. I'm continually impressed by the quality of the analysis for, from virtually all of our audience. Now, did get a couple of not-so-nice comments. Now, let's be civil out there, everyone. Let's be nice to each other. But uh, a lot of good analysis, a lot of good comments. And uh, I want to especially give a tip of the hat to uh, Damon Zonic. We had to cut yours down significantly, but I hope you call in next week like we talked about on email because you made a very, very thorough analysis of the whole thing. But I think that Adon has it kind of nailed. I think he's got a good list, and uh, I think that's that's where we probably have to start. Well, that's true. And, and I, I would also like to comment on all the feedback. We bring these things up so nobody forgets about this stuff. <laughs> because this product has been in work for five years now. Let's see. Well, six yeah. years. Yeah, six years. And... We want to make sure that even if the MVP or the minimally viable product doesn't get released until 2018, that we don't forget where we started from, that we don't forget what the promises were, and that we continue to help them build a good game. So we're not in any ways trying to hold them to a, you know, a, a, a deadline of, say, the end of 2016 or the by summer. We just want to make sure that you, our loyal listeners, don't forget what this game is all about. I, we, I've, I've always sort of seen us, our role in this show, and, and what we do is sort of a supervisor, you know, just a, a board, an unofficial board member, you know, trying to keep the team accountable, reminding them, like Jeff said, making sure we don't forget, making sure things don't slip off, and call them on it when they, they make some bad decisions. I mean, 
one of the things that we've brought up time and time again, and we're going to continue to keep saying, is that the creative person needs to have somebody that can tell him no. This is what we have the resources to accomplish. Your ideas are marvelous and wonderful. We're going to put them on the whiteboard, or we're going to put them in a design doc, and we're going to keep them. But we have a deadline of some kind, whether it's internally imposed or externally mandated. We have limited resources as far as a budget goes. We have limited resources as far as people and talent. And this is what we can deliver given those constraints. But the problem has been, and I, I believe the problem continues to be, that the person or persons who are supposed to be the no people to Chris Roberts are not as effective as they could or should be. And that's my problem with the minimum viable product discussion. You know, Chris says we will have what we will determine to be. I think what he says is we. What he means is when I. That's my that's my biggest problem. That's why I'd like to see the document. Number one, to know it exists. And number two, to see if it, the problem from the very beginning, willing to let the baby go. Let it. Let us see that we have that nailed down a little bit. And not on top of all that, look at the feedback we got. I mean, we brought up a, a, a topic that generated so much feedback. This is the kind of stuff we do this for. Yeah, we love this. This is fantastic. I mean, let's get some blood boiling. Let's let's get passionate about stuff like this. It's great. Well, I'm I'm stuck because obviously I wasn't involved in the initial discussion, and if I had any feedback, I pre-jettisoned it in my own head because I knew we had too much. Well, but now's your it, time to time to shine. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose my thing is I have trouble understanding why people are making so much of the original goals and stretch goals because in my mind, like if you take a reductionist argument, the original proposal for the whole project was Squadron 42, essentially. That was the vision, was Squadron 42, and everything else was sort of an unrealized pipe dream. I mean, Chris has even said that he was sort of resigned to the fact that he was going to be making Squadron 42 primarily off of what he expected to get, and then when he was done with that, they would explore, depending on how successful that game had been, expanding it into what we now know as Star Citizen. Obviously, he got buried under the weight of his own money and was able to <laughs> what a shame yeah you know beyond first world problems there yeah. but the he decided to go full bore on star citizen in my mind at that point it became a completely new project and he and everyone with him were basically making it up as they went which isn't reassuring in any way but it also in my own mind that sort of nullified any attempts to compare his current development process and his current mission with the previous goals and the original intent of the whole project. Well, I, I will give you that about Starsis because that's how I first heard about it and that's you know why I, I, I jumped on it uh, right away. But let's not forget that after the ideas changed, that a lot of these stretch goals came out as Star Citizen and not as Squadron 42. Yeah, but every single one that came out was presented with the caveat that said either this may not be ready on release or this will not be ready on release to the point where... Not every single one. No, every, not every single one, but I would venture yeah, to guess Yeah, we're not that, holding that, you know, we're not holding them to that. Right. Yeah, I yeah. just, I suppose I see a lack of evidence to question the progress at this point, but... 
I'm also not somebody that gets heavily involved in dissecting the minutia of beta and alpha progress because everything is so much in flux. At this point, I'm just going to sort of take the opinion of they can say whatever they want because it's going to change. It already has changed. It will change a lot in the future. And really, at this point, until they publicly come out with that list, whether that's next month or whether it's at the same time as they release the game, that's going to be the real sort of benchmark of whether they've done a good job. You've got a point there that that they have yet to spell out the standards by which we should judge them by, but that's kind of the problem is that unless somebody makes a demand of them to show what a reasonable objective person could call progress, they can continue to define it however they feel like it. And again, that is that is the problem. I mean, yes, publishers are mean and they make you rush things and, geez, if they just given us six more months. I mean, yeah, there's all those bad things about it. And yes, one of the things that was nice about this is that there was no big meanie to make those kinds of demands that could be enforced in a court of law because of the contract. That's one of the benefits of this development uh, mode. The problem is, is that we were informed at the time that the open development process would take its place, that it would be hap- it would, this would be happening in front of us, that we would be involved in it, and that it would be, you know, the sort of, it would be the alternative to the publisher. Now, what has, how it's evolved is that They'll tell us when it's ready, when it's ready, why are you questioning this? It's us. It's, it's me. It's, it's CIG. What's the big deal? What's the problem? Not quite good enough. There has to be the, the whole the, the concept, and this is a flagship pioneering project for open development. My opinion on this is that it's not good enough. There's got to be better disclosure. There's got to be more accountability. There's got to be more concrete set of deadlines that they hold themselves accountable for and that we in the community can use to check up on them. I suppose my counter to that is that what's the recourse? Because the... We have none, and that's the problem. Well, yeah, but we do have some. It's just the problem is it's it's beholden to the mob because they've said on several occasions that anyone with a legitimate grievance who really feels like they've been wronged can ask for a refund. And if... If large, I mean, if the entire star citizen community or even a majority of it, something happens that would convince them to demand a refund, then that, I think, would cause CIG to reevaluate whatever it's doing or whatever it's done that's caused that. But to this point, there hasn't really been an offense that's caused that kind of backlash. I mean, it was close a while ago with certain individuals that will not be addressed but i mean in my mind they haven't screwed up badly enough because if you think about it it's still the publisher model it's just that instead of three or five board members who decide okay you're not doing this well enough we're pulling your funding it's instead you know how many star citizens do we have 1.3 million people who have to collectively decide that they're going to pull their funding well number one i don't think that's the that's the number of registered accounts and not all those people have skin in the game but i mean but it's a large number yeah i mean i grant you that it's it's a very large number but i think that the problem is that it's not which model of supervision you choose it's that there is some sort of supervision and what i'm saying at this point is that the crowdfunding model plus open development 
is not providing a level of supervision that, number one, makes me feel comfortable that my, quote, investment, it's not an investment, but my, quote, investment in the game is being managed properly, managed to the, to the best of its possibility. I, I have questions about that. I have doubts about that. The second part of it is, is that because there is no recourse of it, I'm just stuck. So even though I have questions, even though I have doubts, there is no way to resolve them. And I think that's that's a problem. I want the game. My God, I want the game. And I want them to do it. And, I'm, and I personally am not going to take any actions to sabotage it. And I would oppose people who would organize to sabotage it. If people want individual refunds, go ask. I don't think you're going to get them at this point, but you can go ask. But the idea is that as a learning process, as a learning experience for future crowdfunding people, the mechanism CIG using, is using is inadequate. There's got to be a better way to allow or provide for the community feedback that is effective to say no to the creative people. And there, there's got to be a way to say, give us a deadline, give us a feature list, and let us hold you accountable. Because if the crowdfunders aren't going to do it, then there's nobody who can. And that level of accountability has to be there somewhere. I just want them to come through with promises made. I, I think it's incumbent upon, especially at this point, because this is new and a different way of building a game, crowdfunding and, and uh, you know, a single developer publisher, that they come through with whatever it is they said they're going to do. I could care less of how long, uh, of the length it takes. I could care less of if it's later rather than sooner. I just want them to make sure that they, you know, come with the promises. You know, it's bad enough when friends promise you something and they don't follow through. But, you know, stuff that you spend money on, that's different. Like I said, lots of good feedback this week. Really appreciate everybody writing in uh, and, and telling us what's on their mind. We didn't get to all of it and we had to cut some of it. But there was a request made to share, like, our analysis or our list of stretch goals. I, yeah, I think we should. We can do that. We can try to do that. I counted things differently than maybe some people would. But... Um, we're not questioning whether or not they're working on them. Obviously, they are. But we just want to know what's going to be in, what's going to be out, and give us a ballpark on when we can expect it. That's that's what I that's what I would like. And finally, just a quick general feedback. Silent Hunter writes in and says, I'm wondering if the Scorpion will end up going the way of the F-20 Tiger Shark. If the U.S. doesn't order it, quite a few countries will decline to buy the Scorpion just based on that. And that's an excellent point. The F-20 Tiger Shark was an attempt to build on the F-5 and make it a more sort of beefier fighter that was not quite an F-16, kind of like what they're doing with the, with the Scorpion. And that's a good point, but I think that the raw numbers, you know, $3,000 a flight hour and less than $20 million a pop, I, that's got to get a buyer somewhere. And I really do hope that this little tiny jet, this little jet that could, um, and that uh, it, it takes to the air in somebody's Air Force. Krell is our new Patreon subscriber this week. Quote from Krell, You work for me now. Bring me a shrubbery. And the winners of a brand new patch are Gallenrick Lotharin. Has he won a patch before? I thought so. You'll have to it doesn't matter. We, have we have to come up with a new reward. We have to come up with a new award. We have maybe t-shirts. We, we talked about wings. Do people want wings? Yeah, wings would be cool. Those would be cool. I think wings would be cool. We'll look. Maybe we'll look into that. And this week's community question, do randomized item mods harmlessly add unique flavor to the game universe, or do they cause nothing but imbalance, envy, and strife? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Did we roll the mod you wanted, or should we head back to the deep black for more materials? 
Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at, at GuardFreak. Or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email at Squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 118 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 119 on May 10th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over on our website, GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. Next Friday, 6th of May, is our next call-in show. Guard Frequency is going to broadcast live inside Elite Dangerous Universe next Friday at 10 p.m. Central. 4 a.m. GMT, so watch our Twitter feed at Guard Freak for details on how you can meet up with us and chat from the bubble. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email at squawk at guardfrequency.com. Right now, our audio team is expanding, so if you think you know a high-quality show when you hear it, we'd love to hear from you. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series, the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network, our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trollton Edwards, our staff writers, Jace Pentad and Kin Shadow, our producer and occasional fill-in host, Jeff Grant, and, of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Big shout-out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. No one's listening out there, but Deep Black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Contact 330, Carol 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. Or your dirigible will melt in a surfu... See, we're already in trouble. Space weasels. Somebody write that down. We're going to have to make a comic book. Okay. I think, I, think, I, think we're, I, think, I think we've scraped the bottom of this barrel, so... Mikey, you're just going to have to figure out where to end that segment. I'm sorry, but I'll leave it to your good judgment as to where to cut us off. So a mid-sized operation that hasn't worked its way up to an Orion yet might be able to sort of... <sighs> Though an improved table is scheduled to be... If you're unhappy with the outcome, you can reject it, but the... the bleh. Additionally, the special effects we've been seeing in these weekly previews so far all seem to be randomly... Nope. Jeff, for an immortal, I'd expect you to have a wider view. Wait, 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 wait hold on. He's still an ignorant slut.
I am never the ignorant slut. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're all ignorant sluts now. Yeah, I really thought that was a you thing. Yeah, no, I no, really no, did no. Too. Now it's everybody. And Jeff, your reply. Osteron, you ignorant slut. No, <laughs> no you're the ignorant slut this week. It changed, I know, it's change I, know every week. I know. Tony, what my <laughs> opponent does not grasp is... Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to call me an ignorant slut just for old time's sake. Okay, sorry. Tony, you sorry. ignorant slut. You you keep making me do this over and over again. You are so ignorant. Balance is coming to fusion. West. Everspace is beginning its public alpha testing soon, featuring three ships, four sectors, twenty configurable. Com, uh, twenty configurable. <laughs> Winga manga. Yeah. 20 configurable components and 32 inch perks. <laughs> 32 no, that's, inch. Hello. Oh, oh, that, man. That's Where did I read that? Oh, that's the quote. 32, 32 okay. inches. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> got it. I think we've got our show title, kids. Uh, 32 inch perks. <laughs> Do you really want to see what the artwork for that is going to end up being? <laughs> <laughs> we, probably, probably, we probably shouldn't give Ben any ideas. Okay. That's, Quote from Crer. Quote from Quote from Crer. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the desk? The, yeah, desk bam. Right. The desk bam. Mm-hmm. We are the desk bam space in podcast ever. <laughs>